When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. And Indiana last year was very much not good. I think they were 131st in you know, uh, points, per, points allowed per game, something around that level. Uh, they, they've won two Big Ten games in the last two years. Tom Allen's idea of love everyone has not shown him a lot of love back. And I don't think any of it matters because none of the people who had anything to do with either one of those teams have anything to do with what's going on this year. Nathan, they have over 30 new guys on their roster this year. And Dave's been asked that on multiple days. How do you prepare for a team with this much new? What does he have to say about that? But then also, and when you're trying to prepare into a pod like this, how difficult has it been for you to figure out how you're going to talk about this team? You know, I don't know if it's as difficult in this matchup as it would be if uh, a better team had mm. 30 transfers, but they don't typically bring on 30 transfers. We've seen it work before. You know, Michigan State had a, a slew of transfers a couple of years ago and, and rose sure. to the top because they happened to be a couple of them were among the best players in the country at their position. I don't know if that's going to be true of IU. We'll see. I know that from listening to the talking to the players on Wednesday night, it has had a little bit of a wrinkle to game prep. And this is true, I think, across the board now. There's transfers on every team. People who are preparing for Ohio State this week have to go back and watch Ole Miss film for Tywin Malone and Davis and Igbenosin mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, San Diego State film for Josh Simmons and, and Syracuse film for Jihad Carter. So uh, they're having to do it too. And in some ways, probably almost just as much, even if the volume isn't as much, because I think Ohio State probably has some clue as to which of these transfers are, are going to play the most for Indiana. But it does add a wrinkle. Like You can't just watch last year's film. You have to still watch last year's film to get a sense of what system you think is going to come out there. But, you know, uh, the co-defensive coordinator, Matt Guerrieri, for, for Indiana, who it sounds like might be calling the plays, is has not been a defensive coordinator before. And so what do you go off for that? Like, there's a lot of unknowns for Ohio State this year. And I think that's going to be intriguing. You've got guys who are playing their first real games who probably are going to have some butterflies and are in, in important spots, they're going to have to respond. And you are not necessarily going to just be able to win this game by how you out-coached or out-schemed someone ahead of the game. 
I think there's going to be a little bit of a proving ground for for some guys maybe in a game like this because it's going to be about you know responding in the moment, beating the guy in front of you. So Andrew, that new for Indiana, just I mean, we've talked at length about Ohio State's quarterback situation and having two guys to choose from. Indiana's in a similar boat here. Taven Jackson, who is the little brother of Tracy Jackson, former uh, All-American at Indi- also at Indiana, who's now in the NBA. Um, from basketball standpoint, he was a top 200 recruit in the 2022 class. He started out at Tennessee, and now he's at Indiana. And then the other guy is Brandon Sorsby, who was a true freshman, also a 2022 guy, was on the team last year, but played minimal snaps, played 12 snaps. It was three of six for eight yards and an interception. So they're also going through a quarterback battle right now. And unlike with Ryan Day, who has told us who's going to start, even if both are going to play, Tom Allen has kept everything close to the vest in that situation. It's we've asked Ryan Day about, you know, we, we asked Ryan Day about you know playing both of these quarterbacks, but we also asked Jim Knowles about having to prepare for two quarterbacks. If you looked, have you at all looked into Jackson and Soresby, and what have you maybe read up on those guys? But also, what did Jim Knowles have to say about preparing for a situation like this? Uh, well, you know, you do your best and read about those guys and kind of see what um, and see what you can learn. I think that that's kind of the the difficult part. You know, if, if it's difficult for us, um, I'm sure that Ohio State has a little bit more resources than than I do googling some of this stuff and just trying to figure it out. Uh, I don't know a ton to be honest with you. I mean, you can try and read up on these guys, frankly, but there's not so much. I was reading, uh, you know, an article where it was like. Uh, it was, you know, they were kind of ranking and one of the Indiana sites was ranking the top, you know, 25 or 50 or whatever it was, most important players on the roster. And it was like number four. And they listed three quarterbacks and they were like, whoever takes the quarterback job, this is the guy. So like even, you know, the people who are close to there kind of don't have an idea. Um, you know, that's difficult. I think, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that you're going to have to start to deal with over the next, you know, handful of however many years that this iteration of college football is, um, you know, Jim Knowles mentioned like in week one, you don't know anything. I mean, it's the first game and he, and he I mean, I, this was obviously hyperbole, but he said that they could come out and run the triple option. Like you don't know. And he's, he's right in the way that you don't know. I think the unique thing here is with the transfers that they're bringing in, this could be, you know, this could be like the future. This could just be the first week or two of every college football season now because there are no preseason games like in the NFL. There are no, you know, kind of off-season workouts like in the NFL that's so publicized and everything's like that. Like all of this is under wraps. And I, if I was Tom Allen, I wouldn't name a starting quarterback either. I would keep, you know, I I would keep this as much – to the vest, I, I would keep this as quiet as possible. And I just think this is something that coordinators and coaches and, and, you know, coaching staffs as a whole are going to have to deal with now in college football, because you're going to have a team, you know, with X amount of transfers with a new coaching staff, and there's not going to be film on these guys, you know, guys can move, you know, upwards, backwards, forwards, sideways in college football now. And if you're bringing in a team of a bunch of transfers, it's just really hard to get a grip on that. So I think this is something that uh, it's going to be a challenge. It's a challenge for for us to try and read about. Uh, It's certainly a challenge for those guys to try and prepare for. But I just think this is going to be the new norm. So, Nathan, maybe the the simpler thing to say here is what do we know about Indiana in this situation? But, you you know, you've written about it and you've talked about it all week, how they – 
how Indiana blitzes and how they were able to get at Justin Fields. He had they sacked him five times and he had three interceptions in that game. And really, I mean, he came into that game as the clear cut Heisman Trophy favorite and he left it not even probably in the top three anymore. And he obviously didn't end up getting to New York because he followed that up with the Big Ten Championship game, which wasn't much better either. But when you've got this much new, they didn't really blitz C.J. Stroud the same way because you couldn't because that's a guy who solves problems before you even snap the ball while Justin Fields was maybe more, I'm going to solve problems with my legs. You wrote about it. You've been asking about it. You asked Donovan Jackson and Josh Fryer about it. It's something to point out, but is it actually something that's applicable here? Because there is so much new here that maybe we don't see some of that exotic blitzes and stuff like just because you don't know what Indiana doesn't know what it has and neither does Ohio State. Indiana knows, I think, a little bit of what it has. Now, one of the, the things that it did with those transfers was it really revamped its its defensive line. So yeah. regardless of what Ohio State or sorry, regardless of what Indiana does as far as dialing up a bunch of blitzes and stuff, we'll come back to that in a second. But let's talk about these guys up front. They got a guy named Andre Carter who used to be at Western Michigan. And, okay, I know that's the Mac, but before you uh, poo-poo that too much, your left tackle for – starting left tackle for Iowa State was at San Diego State last year. So, you know, guys guys do move up a level, and you hope uh, for your team, I suppose, that they can make that transition, and, and you, you can't assume it's good on one side and, and assume it's bad on the other. I think that both – multiple guys in this game that are doing that have something to prove. But Carter last year – uh, seven sacks and 13 and a half tackles for loss and was a guy that a lot of people wanted. Like he, he, he could have gone to a lot of places coming out of the portal last year because that, that's the kind of guy who can make an impact and everybody's looking for that sort of defensive line impact. But he's not the only one they got. They got a guy named um, Philip Blitty from Texas Tech. They got a guy named Marcus Burris from Texas A&M. A guy named Anthony Jones from Oregon. And again, that's all Power Five guys, and 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 listen. There's a reason why Power Five guys leave those programs. You know, we've talked about this a million times with Ohio State. That it's either you are at a smaller place and you're trying to move up, like a Josh Simmons, like a Vic Cutler, or often you're buried or something is blocking you at one of these other places, or something happens like at Ole Miss where you know um, Davis and Igbenosen's coach left and I think he was just looking for a, 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 a switch or you know Tom alone with his baseball experience but a lot of times it's it's the guys that Ohio State loses to the portal are guys who aren't playing in Ohio State and they want to go somewhere else even in the power five and play but the fact that they're now revamping this not with guys who are reaches to be Big Ten level players but guys who are coming from the SEC from the Pac-12 from other power five programs I think it's something that Ohio State has to pay attention to especially because of the fact that its offensive line is a little bit unproven to say the least and those guys from talking to Fryer and Jackson there's a little bit of a chip on their shoulder coming into this game the other thing and I already mentioned Matt Guerrero the guy who was here as a an analyst last year I think that alone is intriguing because he knows Ohio State's offensive personnel somewhat but he also is from the Jim Knowles coaching tree like he was a, a safeties coach I believe for Knowles for a few years at Duke they've had a long relationship there's obviously a bit of a mentor um, or at least protege type situation there and does he come out you know we know Jim Knowles is aggressive we know Jim Knowles likes to come after it on defense does he kind of follow the same lead this isn't the same setup as it was in uh, 2020 when Indiana came here, they had different assistant coaches. Tom Allen is still there, and he's a defensive-minded head coach, so he has some sway in how Indiana's going to attack. But it's just one of those things in the back of my mind. Kind of the way I wrote about it today was you have a team that has some 
deviousness, for lack of a better term, between the way Allen has approached this in the past or, you know, with with Matt Guerrieri's background. But then you also have a team that probably has a little bit of desperation because it knows it can't cover Ohio State's receivers. So what's the best way to counter that is to come after them up front. So I'm still sort of expecting that to happen. Make the quarterbacks prove that they can make you pay for bringing those extra people. But we'll see on Saturday. As you were listing off transfers, I, at first of all, that was a lot of great insight. But the entire time, I'm just thinking, what if instead of actually breaking down Indiana, we just spent the next 10 minutes naming every single transfer? Would that be just as educational for our listeners and finding out what to know about Indiana? If we just like, here they are. Here is Indiana's roster. Here is who was here. He was who last year, here last year. The transfer situation, that's the reality of college football. But also, Indiana just had to replace a lot of production. Aaron Casey's their returning leading tackler, the linebacker. He had 86 tackles, 10, 10 and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks. But he's the only guy within their top 10 who came back this year. You have to go down to Noah Pierre, who was 11th in the team in tackles with 39 last year to get any level of production. So you brought up Michigan State, Nathan, as a team who just needed production. They just needed talent. And that's what Indiana needed here. Now, they needed it for a different reason. Michigan State needed it because Mel Tucker was coming in and trying to reset the program there. But Tom Allen is trying to turn things around here because he's got in his contract, he's got to win six games this year to keep his job. Now, that's a hefty buyout, so we'll see what happens in that situation. But he's got to win six games. So when you've got to win six games and you've won two and four the last two years, then you've got, you know, you got to find new ways to get talent, and that's where you end up with the transfer portal coming in. Andrew... Ohio State's favored by 30 points, literally. Like, on the dot right now, they are favored by 30 points. We'll get into our game predictions later on in this season. We talked about this a little bit on the Thursday pod and what we can actually learn from Ohio State in this situation. But as you were researching Indiana, maybe you came into this thinking, it's still a road game in the Big Ten. It's a new quarterback. You know, maybe this thing might be tough for at least a quarter and a half there before the talent takes over for Ohio State. I personally have come off of that now as I've researched done more research in the Indiana. I don't think this is going to be necessarily close. Where have you, as you've gotten a chance to really research Indiana and how close this game may or may not be, especially in the first half, where at least for a little bit it might be competitive? Well, yeah, I'm just glad that Tom Allen didn't announce the kicker. You know, I know that he said that they've decided on a kicker, but they're not going to announce the kicker because either way, that would swing some Vegas lines, man. That would be crazy. Um, The, the line, is the over-under is 60. Um, or at least the last I checked, it was 60, um, and the line is 30. So you're, Vegas is basically saying 45, 14, give or take. Um, that is about what I would probably say. Uh, the thing that I am curious about, I think it's too early to talk about the running clock kind of impacting things. Like, you know, does that have a noticeable impact? Like, I don't know if that's going to mean that Hey, if they if they were playing this game under last year's rules, Ohio State wins fifty five to ten. But this year it's going to be thirty eight to ten or whatever. Like I, I don't think it's going to be that that crazy. The one thing I am curious about, I I don't think it's going to be close. But I just I wonder what kind of not rust, but I wonder what kind of you know uh, chemistry we're going to see from from Ohio State's offense. Um, you've got a new quarterback in there. You're working in some new offensive linemen. Yeah. You feel really good about your receiving core. Yeah. You feel really good about your running back depth and your defense should be excellent. The more I think about this game, the more I think that Ohio state 
is clearly going to have the talent and they're going to have Indiana down. It's just going to be, Hey, if they, you know, it's going to be one of those games where it's Ohio state blew a chance to make this, you know, kind of over, over at the end of the first quarter over midway through the second quarter like that. I think it's going to be a little bit closer than that. I mean, Indiana is going to give their best shot, obviously. I mean, this is a game where Nathan was kind of talking about it. You just kind of don't hold anything back and you just say, we got another lose. Like, let's just go after him. So I think it'll be, if I had to, well, I don't want to give it away. I'll say this. I think 30 is about right, but I would be comfortable taking it at probably like 28. Um, I, I just think that this is a game where, you know, it's the first week of the season. There is so much unknown. You haven't, I mean, yeah, I understand Ohio state. There's been a lot of talk about the split fields and getting both guys reps and both guys are comfortable, but okay. Well now comic has to go do it. Like comic is the, he's going to be the guy taking the first team reps. He's the guy who has to go lead this offense. And is he ready to just take off like a rocket ship on the first drive of the se- or the first drive of the season? I don't know. I, I just I think that Indiana is going to hang tight a little bit. I'm not saying that this is going to be a 17 to 13 game going in the fourth quarter. I just think that 30 is a lot. Nathan, we we've seen both since Ryan Day has been here. I just want to throw some numbers out too, and then I want you to. Since Ryan Day has been here, so I'm going back to 17 when he was still the offensive coordinator, but still calling plays. Indiana in 2017, 49 to 21, Ohio State wins, but they're trailing at halftime. Oregon State, 77 to 31. That was never really close, but the defense maybe showed some things that was like, ugh, that was, that was kind of ugly. Florida Atlantic, 45 to 21. Florida Atlantic being one of the few teams to actually be able to move the ball in Ohio State's defense that year. Nebraska in 2020, 52 to 17, where it was just kind of, I think Justin Fields had one incompletion, and it's because of Chris Olave got flipped on his head in the end zone. And then Minnesota, 45 to 31 in 2021. And then Notre Dame, 21 to 10. So six games. Six season openers for Ryan Day, two as an offensive coordinator, four as a head coach. Three of them, Ohio State's been trailing at halftime, or it's been competitive at halftime still. And the other three, it's just been a blowout from basically the opening snap. Where where are you leaning right now? What's more likely, given Ohio State's weapons, but also they're breaking in a new starting quarterback, three new offensive linemen, are you more leaning this might be competitive still, or is it going to be like the other three games? My biggest hesitation on assuming that Indiana can hang, even for the first half, is offensively. And we'll talk about this more when we do our predictions. But, you know, this is a program that averaged under five yards per play last year. And Mm -hmm. even if you take out what they did against Ohio State, it's not like that, that alone ruined that stat for them. Like they were just not a good offense all year. And part of that was, you know, they had um, their best receiver, um, Camper. Uh, Cam, uh, yeah, Cam Camper got towards ACL during the year. He was on pace to have a great year. He lost the one of the only weapons you really had. And I think they've got, I think they've got some talented receivers, including him. He's back this year. I just don't know if either of these quarterbacks, whichever one plays, and maybe both of them play, but whichever one plays, I, I, I don't know that those guys have the kind of talent that's going to really threaten Ohio State or keep up with Ohio State. So. That's what you that's really what this comes down to more to me. I think they can do some things defensively, but even in that game in 2020 when they were causing Justin Fields all those problems, it was still 35 to 7. Ohio State won 42 to 35, and Indiana never even came back and tied the game. So I always thought that the how close that game was was a little bit overblown. 
But I think that the key is whether Indiana is better than we think they are offensively. I think they'll be able to do some things defensively. But Ohio State has so many weapons. Ohio State can have some contingency plans and how it does some things, especially with the running game. So can Indiana really score at Ohio State's level? I don't know that they're ready to do that yet. There are some teams on this schedule, though, that can do that. So I think that's why you want to look for whether this defensive performance is like truly kind of smothering. And it, it's it's game it's week one. The defense is going to have its issues, too. We can't get too mm-hmm. far ahead of how great we think all these defensive players might be, even though there's reason to believe that some of them could have real breakthrough years. But how close can you come to really smothering an opponent week one, really taking them out of the game early offensively? And 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 what can you do to maybe make them one dimensional? If you can stop the run and really put this game on these quarterbacks backs or their arms or however you want to say it. I think that's where Ohio State could really pounce and maybe get a, a snowball rolling early on. I was trying to push this conversation out to 20 minutes or even more than that, just so it could be more minutes than the Indiana team had transfers, but it's probably not going to happen here. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we got a chance to talk with Ryan Day for about 10 minutes. We got his quick lightning round where he did reveal some news, but also we're going to have a quick conversation, just what we want to see from Ohio State in week one, both offensively and defensively, and more on that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Nathan was texting off of the Dadio. That's what he calls Day's radio show because, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. You know, it's, you see, I, see, I see the vision there. He was texting off of that. He was texting off of Ryan Day's lightning round where we did we typically don't get news out of that unless it's something crazy. But we did get some news out of today. Nathan, what did Ryan Day have to provide for us today about the special teams and who's going to be the kick and punt returners this year? I mean, it's not it's not huge news. It's but it did no. come up yesterday. If people listen to the, the the Thursday podcast, one of our questions was about who's going to be returning punts and kicks, and he day confirmed that it's going to just be Emeka Buha again returning punts, Xavier Johnson again returning kicks at least to start the year. They have other guys that they looked at, and we talked about that yesterday. And some of them were the younger players, young promising players in the program. I thought though that he made a good explanation as to why it's still going to be those two guys. And we talked yesterday about how the, the one of the primary things that you care about really the primary thing that you care about is ball security. It's you have to be able to field the ball and then you can't turn the ball over on the return, especially on kickoffs and things like you're turning the ball over deep in an opponent's territory. You're, you're giving away points. And he said that, in both cases, like there were guys who they thought were pretty electric, but they thought had some ball security issues. Either they weren't fielding the ball 
as cleanly as they wanted, or they were not as secure with it when they're returning it. And he talked about how strong you actually have to be to be a kick returner because you are exposed to some really high speed, high velocity hits. And it's kind of coming at you from all directions. And you, you've, You've got to be really sturdy. It's why someone like it's why I think they looked at someone like Chip Trainum because of how fast he is and, and how how sturdy he is. But Xavier Johnson is a sturdy dude. Emeka Buka is a sturdy dude, and I think both of those guys make sense. So that's who it is going to be to start the year. I think he's as he said, they're going to sprinkle some other guys in. We see this too when when games are lopsided and it's the fourth quarter and the other team has to punt. It's usually not Abuka back there. It'll be somebody else. So we'll get a little glimpse of who those people will be because if it's people from the true freshman class, that could be the guys who are being past those duties next year when Abuka and Xavier Johnson are no longer in the program. So I want this to start being a staple every single week. We're not. It's not going to be an emphatic yes every single week to this question, but I do want it to start being a thing on offense and defense. And I'm going to ask both of you. We'll start with offense and we'll start with you, Andrew. What do you want to see from Ohio State's offense on Saturday that will allow you to start believing that it can eventually be championship caliber? And that can be position-related. It can be play-calling related. It can be anything you want under the sun. But something you want to see from this offense that lets you know that by the time it gets to November, December, maybe January, this team can win a national championship. That's a good question. Um, I think, Thank you. well, there's there's a few things, um, but they're all kind of related to the same topic. I think it's quarterback, right? Um, you know, I, I, like I said, they're all related. I want to, you, you actually kind of said what I wanted to say there. I think I want to see aggressive play calling and I want to see Kyle McCord handle that well, right? Like if, if Kyle McCord is going to be the guy, like you want to see him handle that, okay, go throw an out route on third and 10 for 12 yards and, you know, hit him high and outside and get a first down. Or, you know, we talked about this earlier in the week where get up after you get drilled and go make another play or face that pressure, face that adversity and go make another play. Uh, I think that that is, that is something that you want to see. It's not statistical. You can't really quantify it. It's just going to have to be one of those things where we see it. The fans are going to see it. The coaching staff is going to see it. You're going to get a feel for it as you watch this game. I think that you're going to want to see just that ability to, okay, we trust this kid. And we trust him to go make the throws that we have to go make. Like, I know I said the other day, you know, when we were doing one of our stand-up videos that, you know, I think you've got to settle him in a little bit. You know, you've got to make some of these quick, easy throws. I think that that's true. I think that there's a way to do that while also working in a selective deep shot every once in a while by saying, okay, this is a great situation for him. We can We can stretch the field with him and do it do it carefully, do it intelligently, do it in a way that is not just reckless. Um, you know, like you would with, I mean, you would feel a lot better with just saying, all right, CJ, go make a throw, you know, go, you know, go do whatever, you know, kind of let him freestyle a little bit more with comic in his first start. So I want to see that. And then I, I, I think smoothness isn't necessarily the best word cohesion. I'm trying to think of the ways to phrase this. Like it's, You've got to see it just like a well-oiled machine, basically, that even if you don't hang 60, you know, you could score 41 points, but I think that there's a way to look at this and say, you know what, 
that looked smooth. That looked crisp. Like, you know, I mentioned the other day with the offensive line, there's no penalties. There's no, um, you know, there's no problems getting plays in and out. There's no misreads. Like, that's what you want to see in a week one game. So I think they're all kind of related to the quarterback and just how does he operate the offense? Does the coaching staff trust him? Does everything flow smoothly? You know, are you comfortable with him moving forward? Because I think you're not going to get a true sense of this until later in the season when you start to play Notre Dame and Penn State and things like that. But if they're afraid to have him throw the ball 10, 15 yards, more than 10, 15 yards down the field, that would be a problem moving forward. I don't think you're going to get a good grasp of that in uh, in week one. But, um, you know, I think that you can start to see some signs that, okay, they trust him and he's going to be able to handle this. Nathan, what about you? What can this offense do against Indiana that lets you know that it can get to a point where it can win a national title? And it's, it can't, it's not about Indiana. It's about them. Yeah, I think Andrew makes a, a good point that if you – before I get to mine, that if you are – when we look back at what told us that Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud were special, it wasn't that they completed 66% of their passes for nine yards per attempt. Because I think you can construct any Ohio State offense right now, probably maybe even with Tristan Jebbia, and get numbers like that. You can scheme that up to some extent. What made it them seem special was Justin Fields throwing those darts, uh, those long, those field out routes, and, you know, uh, C.J. Stroud, you know, uh, looking off a safety and then and cranking it over the middle. You know what I mean? Like special throws. So do we see some special throws Saturday? I think is definitely a thing to be in the back of your mind because those at some point you shouldn't need special throws to beat Indiana. You will need special throws to beat other teams on this schedule. But I'm going to stay on offense. I'm going to go with the offensive line. We came out of the spring looking at this offensive line like what? And... I know that they've said a lot of the right things about this offensive line in preseason camp and how much confidence they have built. And the offensive linemen themselves, I think this is important. They don't talk about Josh Simmons as like, yeah, he really had some things to learn. And I mean, they said he came in and hit the ground running and and, and held up and, and looked like he belonged. And that was important to me. So I'm not trying to speak something into existence that that doesn't exist here. But as Ryan Day has been fond of saying this week, you know, it's it's there are things that we talk about, and then there's things that you you actually have to go do it on a field at some point. I think the offensive line has to go do it. And like I mentioned before, there's some talent on this Indiana defensive line, and what the talent can't do, I think there's a chance the scheme will try to do, the approach, the the game plan will try to do, and it's hard to pick up. Josh Myers, I don't know if they'll do what they did in 2020. I don't know, but Josh Myers talked about that experience, and when you've got guys blitzing right behind each other and you can't see them until they're right on top of you. It's a problem, and it becomes a problem for your quarterback. So this this offensive line is going to have to get over the butterflies. It will certainly feel, you know, the, the, it's good that Fryer got the experience he did last year, including a start and almost like a start and a half when you include the Michigan game. And and Josh Simmons has played major college football, and if for you know, I, if for him it might even be an easier adjustment that they're opening at Indiana rather than Ohio Stadium. I don't know because I'm sure he's never played in an environment like Ohio Stadium. He's probably played in something a little bit like Indiana, but. You know, that's that's the, probably some butterflies there. Definitely some butterflies for Carson Hensman. A lot on his plate. How does how do the veteran guys kind of calm them down? What sort of stability do they provide? As we talked about the other day, is is the offensive line avoiding just just 
little the little mistakes that really bite you, a hold at the wrong time, a false start that puts you you know behind the eight ball and makes things tougher on these quarterbacks. They've just got it. I look at it almost the same way as like they don't have to be piling up pancakes like Orlando Pace. Just as these quarterbacks don't have to be going out there and going laser show like Justin Fields in the first three games of 2020, where he was completing 80% of his passes or whatever. But they got to be able to do, they got to be able to give the quarterback a chance. And then that quarterback has to be able to just sort of, even though I said it's important that he, they start showing those, those that they have the capability of making those big throws, it doesn't have to be the, the full volume of their production. Most of the time, it's just as Ryan Day said it today, you know. And I thought it was a pointed thing that he said today on the radio show was just like, just go out and uh, what do you say? Manage the plays that we designed for you. Like, don't get too out over your skis with this. Like, and, and within that structure, there's still chances to make those, those big throws, but, but manage the, manage the game as it has been designed by some guys who know what they're doing. Offensively. I want to see running backs hitting holes. I think we know Trayvon Henderson can hit home runs. I think Mayan Williams runs violently, and we know he can break tackles, especially when he's bouncing it outside. But whether it was because they were dealing with injuries or just a you know, regression in development, both of them struggled to hit the hole sometimes. And it's what made Dallin Hayden so valuable is he didn't do anything flashy. He just hit the hole time after time after time, especially in that Maryland game. And I was asking Travion Henderson about that on Wednesday night when we were talking to players and he said part of the reason for that was he was only practicing once a week last year. So you're missing out on quality development to develop that skill for a guy who was always trying to be Travion Henderson, always trying to hit those holes. And so I think they're going to rely heavily on the run game, which means they can't be in second and nine because they're relying on the run game. Right. It can't be that. It can't be third and seven because you ran it two times in a row. You got stuffed the first time and then you got three yards the second time because that puts pressure on your quarterback. Because now Kyle McCord or Devin Brown has to go in there and complete convert a third and long situation where, to Nathan's point, maybe they do start sending exotic blitzes. But even if they don't, they have re-upped on the defensive line in a way that maybe we're interested in it, especially since we don't know much about this offensive line yet. So the best way to take that pressure off of this new quarterback is Running back just get hitting holes, and as Ryan Day likes to say, staying on schedule. Just stay on schedule because I'm assuming at some point Indiana's going to blow a coverage or blow an assignment, and Trayvon Henderson's going to get the run free for 35-plus yards and a touchdown. I'm assuming that Mayan Williams is going to break one at some point. But that's not the important thing because that's not the stuff that's always going to be winning new national championships. Sometimes when you're playing Georgia, when you're playing Alabama, when you're maybe playing Florida State, everybody else that's in the college football playoff discussion, if you can just stay on schedule with the running game, it opens up everything else for the quarterback without having to put too much pressure on him or seeing a situation where you do play somebody who is at least talentedly equated and you're having C.J. Stroud throwing 54 passes. So let's flip this now. Defensively, Nathan, you go first here. What can the defense do against the Hoosiers on Saturday that lets you know that this team can eventually win a national title because its defense is doing what? You say Hoosiers? Yeah, Hugh, H-E-W. Like they have a hue to them, a red hue. It's, it's Hoosiers, isn't it? Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Oh, sweet Jesus. Like who, oh. do, you know, do, you know, do, you know do you know where the word comes from? I don't. As someone who Educate me was that. a Hoosier yeah. at one point in the state. Yeah, uh, it, it, it was like a greeting. It's like there's sort of a dialect from mm. I don't know when, 1800s, where you would say like across, like someone would knock on your door and you would say like, Hoosier, kind of like that. And that's where Hoosier oh. 
that's the that's a terrible that's the mascot legend I've heard. maybe there's maybe there's <laughs> other but that's what i've heard from people from indiana that that's where the term okay. came from i think it's a pretty bad nickname i think you awful would, <laughs> but, um, and I actually had a friend from I had I had a friend from Canada who uh, she grew up in Canada and she said that up there they would refer to like Hoosiers was kind of their slang for like trashy people kind of and then her mom ends up moving her to Logansport Indiana when she's like 12 so now she just is a Hoosier which was a, 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 a tough a tough turn a tough life turn for her um, but I actually like my time in Indiana for the most part. Anyway, what do I want to see on defense? Uh, I've been talking a lot about the cornerbacks. Last year, the cornerbacks looked bad. I mean, it wasn't just that they were hurt. When they played, they looked bad, and the injuries affected that, but they were just not Ohio State caliber cornerbacks for a big chunk of the season. Again, I know they were hurt. I know there were reasons for it. They didn't get to practice, but take the names off of it. That can't be what Ohio State's putting on the field if it wants to go compete for a national championship. And I think they're going to be better, but I want to see what this looks like. I want to see what Jordan Hancock, healthy Jordan Hancock looks like unleashed across from healthy Denzel Burke with, you know, Davis and Igmanosin rotating in perhaps it's, it's a really intriguing three person grouping that they have there. Uh, they've talked about in passing situations, what that means. Hancock now maybe moves over to nickel and, and Styles moves back to, to one of the deep safety spots. I mean, it's both like I want to see what the cornerbacks look like, and I want to see how multiple Knowles is prepared to be slash how much that's literally just tied to Sonny Styles' identity. It, it's, are they being truly multiple and, and having like a lot, some packages where they move guys in and out, or is this really just a matter of, well, Sonny Styles just has to be on the field. So when we put someplace mm-hmm. where Sonny Styles usually plays, somebody else comes off the field. I think that's a very real possibility. I think that's what's going to happen. It might not happen against Indiana, but I think by the time they start getting to November, that's exactly what's going to be happening. Because you don't want to put too much on his plate in week one, but he can probably eat all of it by week nine. I just want to see the defense make Indiana earn it, right? I, I don't want to see a bunch of blown assignment. I, they gave up. 11 plays of 50-plus yards last year, six plays of 60-plus yards last year, five plays of 70-plus yards last year, one 80-plus yard play, 18 40-plus plays, and 25 30-plus. All of those are middle of the road to the back of the line of just the Big Ten, and it's why they lost games last season. If that means being vanilla against Indiana because you can, fine. If that means you don't show things until Notre Dame because you can, fine. But I want to see – they've talked – whether it's the defensive backs, whether it's the linebackers, a lot of the times, a lot of the conversations with them has just been, man, we're in the same scheme for a second straight year. We just know so much because we've been able to settle into the scheme. I want to see that have some payoff on Saturday by just forcing Indiana to earn it every single drive. And if the Indiana scores 13 points, I want to feel like Indiana earned those 13 points. I don't want to see a score like it was – Back in 2020, where it started, where it, the game was over until Ohio State started giving up big plays, and so all of a sudden it's a seven point win. I don't want to see the 49 to 26 score that was in 2019 and 2018. I don't want to see the 49 and 21. I want to see 54 to seven, 56 to 14, what we've seen the past two years, where the defense just kind of showed up and shut things down and allowed the offense and allowed Kyle McCord and Devin Brown to get as many. Th- tries at it as possible because it's constantly three and outs, maybe forcing a couple of turnovers along the way. I want to see that. 
we can get to the man. Can they be turning guys into weapons later on down the line? I want to see just in week one. Can they keep everybody in front and limit the big plays? Jim Knowles has said, what, three to five plays equals victory. I'd like to see one to three instead, because three to five was winning you games until it wasn't winning you games any longer. Well, but 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 the, the, the crucial thing about those three to five is he's not talking about explosive touchdowns, he's saying three to five explosive plays We're and explosive crew. plays aren't all 40, 50 yards. They're 10, 15, 20 sometimes, depending on how you define it. So in that in that context, three to five doesn't kill you. But I was going to ask, like, how much are we on? How much are we intrigued by the Jim Knowles question in this game as far as how aggressive is he going to be? How is he going to call a game? Uh, I have never, as as we've talked about here on this pod, I'm much more along the from the camp of I really don't think his play calling was the problem. I think the player's execution was the problem, and I suppose he has to have a grasp on that to call the game a certain way. But I'm I am a little bit, I guess, intrigued. Like, is he going to be just as aggressive last year because he believes more in these players mm-hmm. to now go do that, or is he going to back off a little bit? But the corollary to that is if you get the defensive line play, we think they might get, you can back off of that and get the same kind of disruption. I think all of it is what's necessary. And if JT Tuimaloa, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Tyleek Williams, Taiwan Malone, Kenyatta Jackson, Ty Hamilton are getting after the quarterback, it probably isn't as necessary in every third and six situation to send somebody, right? Sometimes it's just okay to just be a little bit more vanilla. So I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think the play calling was that big of a problem. I just think that he maybe trusted the cor- some cornerbacks who weren't healthy enough or maybe not even good enough at the time to allow him to be as aggressive as he could be. This year, if the corners are healthy and they're good enough, I think he can just be a little bit more situational week to week. I don't think against Indiana he needs to be ultra aggressive. I think he can sit back. Maybe I mean you got to call some things because if not you're just gonna be saying hey we're gonna run cover two we're gonna run cover one all afternoon but I, you you can pick your spots but I think if this defensive line is better Jim Knowles can better pick his spots and it doesn't have to rely all the time on is Tommy Eichenberg or Lathan Ransom gonna get home on the blitz or Cody Simon gonna get home on the blitz because you know that JT Two and Maloa Jack Sawyer Kenyatta Jackson Mike Hall are gonna get home more than they did in the in the past. How does he adapt to his personnel maybe being just that much better than a year ago, more than it is? Can he be a better play caller? Andrew, what do you want to see from the defense? Uh, One word, havoc. Uh, I want to see this defensive line be the defensive line that was promised, essentially. I, I want to see what this front four can do against an offensive line which is you know you know you read up on indiana you can kind of see that there are some questions there and you know every every you know you're going into the season and every quote you read is we're optimistic we're hopeful we're we're this we're we're feeling good like that indicates that there's some questions and that indicates that there's some issues along that offensive line that they are uncertain about and you have a defensive line that has a lot of really talented players on it not just in the starting group but in reserves as well. I want to see this defensive line dominate like not only they can, but they should. Like this is a game. I mean, we talked all of, we talked, you know, for the last however many weeks about JT Tumaloao putting it together and being the guy that he was, even if he's not going to reach the high, high of that Penn State game every single week, you want to see that ability 
at least consistently throughout the year. Can you get Jack Sawyer to be the player that Jim Knowles said he was in practice? Like what was it, a couple of days ago, a week ago, whatever that was. He called him a dominant player. You know, can you see that? Can you see this defense in year two of this, you know, of this scheme? Like Steven was saying, you know, you hear all about it. I feel so much better. I know not only what my position is doing, but what other positions are doing. And how does that relate into creating problems, not only in how you play, but in pre-snap disguises? Can you confuse them more now in year two than you would have been able to in year one? So I want to see Indiana really struggle to, you know, Steven said, I want to see them earn, you know, if they score 13 points, I want to see them earn those 13 points. I think that it has to also come before the snap as well. Like, I want to see what you can do on the back end, how you move Sonny Styles around. How do you move some of these defensive backs around? Are you moving them up? You know, are you moving some guys to the slot, some guys to the secondary? Are you bringing on, you know, on and off different guys in the secondary? You know, when does Kenyatta Jackson come on? When does Caden Curry come on? Like, how do you use those guys effectively to make Indiana's life a living hell on Saturday? And how do you do that in a way that is going to give you not just options for this game, but moving forward? You know, now you have guys with experience. Now you have, okay, this look, we felt good about this look. We only did, we only ran it for a few plays, but we like how this felt. We like how this played out. Let's see if we can incorporate that more moving forward. Give yourselves options. That's the whole point of year two with the defensive coordinator. That is the entire thing is that we can do things now that we could not do last year. And we feel more comfortable doing things this year than we did last year. Okay, so take a step. Don't just settle for that, you know what, we're going to be good because you know now we know what we're doing and now we have our roles. Create some stuff. Disguise some stuff. Make things really difficult for whoever Indiana is going to play a quarterback. And that starts with you know pre-snap looks. But then when the ball is snapped, I want to see the defensive line reset the line of scrimmage and I want to see them get after Indiana's quarterback. I want to see them get after the run game and I want to see them have a game where Indiana cannot effectively run their offense because there's no lanes to run the ball and because there's no pocket for the quarterback to throw the ball. in. Do you want to put numbers on any of that havoc, whether it's sacks or rushing yards allowed? Um, that's a good – I hadn't considered that. I know it's a good um, question. That's why they paid me the bucks. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's – yeah. What about the yeah. – <laughs> um, The – I didn't I'm say big to, bucks. I just said the sacks, bucks. <laughs> sacks, you think this is a lucrative yeah, profession. Yeah. I bad news for you. I was trying to think yeah, of a joke and that. I couldn't think of one. I was trying to think of a joke and it, it just like – I was like something's there. The ingredients are there. I just couldn't pull it. Um much like the ingredients are there for Ohio State's defense. Nice segue. Um, I don't it's know. It's not a nice segue uh, if you say this nice segue, by the way. Uh, yeah. I'm just complimenting myself. So we all need a compliment in our lives. That's true. I don't think sacks – I don't want to put a number on sacks. I do think you need to bring the quarterback down – well, maybe I do. I'll say two. You need at least two sacks. You need at least two sacks. You need to, you need to bring him down at least twice because, again, I mentioned this with the – offensive conversation on one of the previous pods we did this week 
sometimes sacks are not created equal. Like a sack on third and 12 and comic cords running around trying to make a play and he goes down because, you know, seven seconds after the ball was snapped. That's a different set of circumstances than, you know, Carson Hinsman gets blown up right into Kyle McCord in 1.8 seconds. And that they both go down as a sack, but they're not equal. So that, you know, I think, but I, but I do think that this defensive line is good enough to where you should be able to just get to the quarterback before he's able to make a few reads. So I'll say at least two. Uh, I think you need at least one interception. Uh, I would like to see one interception. I think that because that can that can happen from you know good secondary play or good defensive line play or both. You know that could come from hey Jack Sawyer got in the quarterback's face, forced an early throw, and now you have an interception. Now somebody jumps a route. Now somebody jumps a you know an in route, an out route, whatever it is. So I think you need at least two sacks. You need an interception, and then the run game. I, I, I don't know the, the yards per game. Like that's a hard one to do because what happens if this game does get out of hand and it's forty-five to three midway through the third quarter, and all of a sudden here come the reserves. You know, like in Indiana. You know, all right, here come the human white flags for Indiana. Like I don't know. Uh, that that can kind of change things a little bit. Obviously, Ohio State's depth is or their backups are better than indiana's backups but sometimes you know the the numbers can get a little wonky late so i don't want to i don't want to put a number on the run game but uh, i'll stick with two sacks and one interception indiana averaged 4.48 yards per play last year i want to issue this issue this challenge to Ohio State's defense can you hold indiana under four yards play that's not easy so if like you get to 4.1 i'll let that slide but can you hold them under four yards per play I don't think you have to do that every well, single week, but I don't think it's unreasonable to ask this week for them to, you know, flirt with that category. And frankly, it's the kind of thing that speaks to the the step that this defense needs to take. Cause there were plenty of games last year um, or you could really, it kind of encapsulates the whole season. Like the season long defensive numbers were better than they were the year before. Yes. And they were especially better before you got to those last couple games. And then that really skewed it and threw it off. But they would have been better overall if they could have just taken out two or three plays per game. Even just two or three plays in some of the biggest games of the year, you would have chunked a lot of yardage off of this defense. So if that's truly something that they do, if they if they close the escape hatch and stop letting those big plays happen, um, such as the first game of the play of the year against uh, Notre Dame, such as any number of things we saw against Michigan and Georgia, if you start to close more of those off, I'm not saying a team won't ever put something together. If you close enough of those off, then you'll start to see, I think, a big statistical difference in 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 this defensive performance. So I'm going to kick Nathan and Andrew off the pod for a little bit here. And I'm going to bring in T. Shu as a replacement, a little two for one situation here. He's going to be our Sunny Styles. He's going to come in, so somebody's got to come off the field. In this situation, two people are coming off the field because he's a five star. What he does, we're going to talk some betting. So we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, the next voices you will hear are myself and then Tishu when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back here on Buckeye Talk, and as I promised, Nathan and Andrew are gone because I decided to kick them out because they are not worthy to talk to our next guest. That's not true. They are worthy. It's just I decided to kick them out because I don't want too many voices. Tyler Shoemaker is joining us once again. To I told him this when we before we started recording to prove that he's smarter than me when it comes to college football. He disagreed, and that's fine. You have to be humble in these situations. 
Tyler, before we get into some of the bets and some of the betting stuff with Ohio State versus Indiana this week, you come out with the TSI in- index. Uh, how many years have you been doing this now? Uh, so kind of in its infancy, started in, in 2017, kind of mm-hmm. literally with like pen to paper math, uh, plotting that out. And then that turned into a spreadsheet, which has now evolved into, you know, I'm, I'm running Python scripts and, and doing all mm-hmm. kinds of automation with it. So it's definitely evolved over the years. Uh, I think my first appearance on Buckeye Talk kind of talking about the numbers was in 2018. This year, Ohio State preseason is number two behind Georgia. Just in layman's terms, take me into the calculations, take me into the, what goes into that and why. Basically, simple way of putting it, why is Ohio State number two in these rankings coming into the year? Yeah, so, I mean, my my numbers really like like Ohio State on, on both sides of the ball. I mean, obviously, the offense more than the defense. I've got the offense number one in the country, as I did last year. Uh, the defense I've got number 19. Um, I believe they finished last season number 24 for me. So mm-hmm. uh, a five-spot improvement here in the preseason. I do, I mean, from what you guys reported out of camp, you know, it sounds like they really like what the defense is doing. So I, if that's the case, I expect this defensive number to tick up for them. Um, but in, in terms of what goes into it, so, you know, most models that you see out there like FEI or SP Plus or something like that, they obviously rely heavily on recruiting rankings. Any mm-hmm. any computer model is going to. However, I think what makes my model kind of more unique is that I've developed uh, kind of my own development rating. So it's not just rewarding you for great recruiting, but it's also historically what, how you've turned that recruiting into productivity on the field. And Ohio State's done as good a job uh, of that of as as anyone. You know, them in Georgia and and Michigan's in there as well in Alabama. Um, I've got Ohio State with the number three uh, weighted four year weighted talent score for me, um, which is pretty much in line with with what we saw. Um, two four seven sports released their talent composite this week, and that's pretty much in line in line there. But um, like I said, I think what separates Ohio State and and the Georgias and Alabamas of the world is they take they recruit at an elite level, but then they take that talent and make it produce on the field as opposed to a Texas A and M or Miami Florida. So as we get into the Indiana, obviously the line that right now is Ohio State favored by 30. The over under is 59 at this point. It's kind of that line has stayed put. Maybe it's risen a little bit actually from where it opened up 29 and a half. Where just thoughts, really. I don't just thoughts. Is that a a good line for Ohio State betters? Is that a bad line for Ohio State betters? Where where is your head at with that? Yeah, it's it's right on. You know, we've talked about it on the show before. It, unfortunately for everyone listening, you cheer for a team that a lot of people are interested in. So the odds mm-hmm. makers are more interested in, in sharpening those lines. Um, you know, there was a point over the summer where you could get Ohio State uh, minus 27 and a half. And I'm kind of kicking myself for not not taking that because, like you said, it's now up around 30, 30 and a half. And my, my projection on the game is 30 and a half uh, with with an over under my, my projected over under 61 and a half. So. You know, my numbers slightly like the over. Um, it makes sense that that's ticked down, you know, with the quarterback uncertainty. And, you know, they're probably going to play both guys and we don't know what that's going to look like. So, you know, a two point difference there kind of makes sense to me. Did, did the fact that Ryan Day came out and he announced Kyle McCord as the starting quarterback, but he also said Devin Brown is going to play. And the way he's talked about this thing is as if it's going to be kind of a two quarterback situation, at least for these first couple of weeks. Here. Did that at all? you know, sway how you were thinking about the line in terms of where it may or may not be when you're calculating this stuff. Yeah. So that sort of thing doesn't necessarily go into like what my projection would be. That would go Mm -hmm. into more of like, 
you know, when I'm looking at a game, there, there's it's a two part process. It's what does the number say? And then, you know, what is the analysis around the number? And that, that part would go into the analysis around the number. So it would be like, OK, you know, for instance, if I liked Indiana in this game, I could talk myself self into like, well, OK, the number likes Indiana and Ohio State's got some uncertainty at quarterback. Like it would kind of play in and in terms of that, but it wouldn't it doesn't actually impact my number at all. Just because they're, so they're both so they're both so good. Okay. Well, that's always a fair point, especially when you're dealing with Ohio State quarterbacks. So let's kind of get into it then. What are some of the we the ultimate bet here is that money line that the minus thirty that Ohio State is favorite. But what are there some other bets out there that would intrigue Ohio State fans in terms of that game, this three thirty game on Saturday? Yeah, I, I found I found a few um kind of off the radar bets here that that Ohio State fans can make, you know, if you're watching want some money on it, like I said, I don't I don't have a huge edge on the the side or the total for the game. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people are going to be disappointed by this, but we're not going to go back to the first quarter overs even though we did go 8 and 2 on those last year <laughs> and it was it was free money. I do I do want to see I I want the quarterbacks to get in a rhythm here before before we go back to the well there even though the line is 13 and a half and it was tempting and I've had like 20 people DM me this week asking if that's what we're riding with. But uh, a few a few bets that I that I did think there was there was potentially some value in the first half under 31 and a half uh, was minus 106 odds. So better than standard odds to get under 31 and a half in the first half. And kind of my thinking there is one, if the game total has ticked down to 59, you know, if you divided that by two, like you're, you're getting some value there. And then also, I just think. I think it might take a couple series for the quarterbacks for the offense to get in a rhythm. And as we discussed, I think the defense is going to be better. I don't expect Indiana to to do a whole lot in this game. So I don't really expect them to contribute much to an overbet. So I think the under 31 and a half, 31 and a half in the first half would be a play I would make. Are you there with the final score as well? Or do at some point you're expecting these quarterbacks to figure it out? Yeah, I, I think they're going to figure it out. I, I think the floodgates are going to open in the second half. Like I can, I think back to you know CJ Stroud's first start, and not that the floodgates opened in the second half, but you did see you know they struggled in the first half. They were down. I don't I don't expect them to be down because uh, one thing I I did want to point out to to the Ohio State listeners, a lot a lot has been made about this Indiana game and oh it's a Big Ten road opener, but I actually have Western Kentucky power rated higher than I do Indiana. Mm-hmm. So that that week three game on paper is actually, you know, a more difficult game for Ohio State than this one. So I think they're going to going to have some leeway here to figure it out. Uh, and, and I do expect the offense to get going in the second half. I feel like we know a lot more about Western Kentucky's team than we know about Indiana's team. But that's also because, as I've already mentioned, they have so many transfers. It's yep. so many transfers. So many new people. It's just welcome to the new age of college football. Anything, any individual thing, any player things that people should be keeping their eyes on going into a game like this. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a you can bet anytime touchdown scores. The odds on those were were pretty bad, so I wouldn't want to give any of those out. But one thing that did intrigue me, you know, and this is something I wouldn't play these type of props on any other team, but because I'm so plugged into Ohio State, you know, thanks to you guys and listening to Buckeye talk every day, the way they've talked about Travion Henderson makes me think he's about to go off. Mm-hmm. I also think I think he wants to go off. I think he's he's finally healthy. And one thing that I really like here, Travion Henderson to score two plus touchdowns is minus 105. So again, better than standard odds to get Trey to score two touchdowns in this Indiana game. I think they're going to feed him early and often. And I even think they're going to use him more in the pass game. That's an easy check down. 
Um, I think he's going to get some catches. And I mean, once the ball's in his hands, he can he can take it the distance anytime he touches it. Uh, you know, big J.K. Dobbins vibes with with that. So mm-hmm. I think I think getting better than standard odds on on Henderson to score two plus touchdowns is, is a good bet as well. I'm just going to be shameless right here and plug my story, just because <laughs> it's what you do when you're hosting. You can do what you want when you're hosting, man. This is your show. Story. I love it. It's weird, but I love it. You know, just to walk away from Ohio State because they are favored by 30. So there is a very good chance that even if they don't cover in that situation, it's the third quarter and um, people are you know looking forward to what they're going into for the rest of the night. Any other interesting games going on this weekend that you would maybe recommend people pay attention to? Liberty plays Bowling Green at home. Uh, they're laying eight and a half to nine and a half points, depending on on what book you're using. I like them to cover that. I would play that up to 10. Uh, I, I wrote about that in my article this week at VEASAN.com. Um, and another one here I'll give out to our listeners, Texas A&M uh, plays New Mexico. Both of those offenses are abysmal. Um, the total in that game is 49. Uh, I would take the under. I would play that down to 48. Last thing here. I don't know if you've done this in the past. I can't remember because it was a year ago now. Do you give out score predictions? And are you willing to give out a score prediction? I will. So I'm just going to oh, yeah. use my <laughs> use my numbers here and get, get it inferred. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pull up my sheet right now. Uh, people that follow me on, on Twitter, at Tissue Index, you know I always tweet out uh, the link to my sheet where you can use my projection tool and do just this. And you can type in any two teams. And it will pull up their rating and give you a score projection uh, for both teams, total, everything. So TSI says 46-16 Ohio State. Look at T-Shoe, man. Both of us shamelessly plugging our work. And it's working out. 46-16, you say. So that is pushing first and foremost. (laughs) While also barely taking the over in this game here. So listen, T-Shoe's smarter than me. He's smarter than Nathan, and he's smarter than Andrew. he's definitely smarter than Andrew. Don't tell Andrew I said Poor that. Poor Andrew, new guy. He's smarter than Andrew. <laughs> yeah, something you got to pick on the new guy. He's still in this hazing phase. Tishu will be with us all year long, giving us his insight week by week, coming into the game situation. So he's worth. Listen, TSI Index is saved my life when it comes to this situation. I was I knew nothing, and now I know a little bit. So maybe if I stick with it for a couple of years, I'll know everything I need to know. When we come back here on Buckeye Talk, Nathan, myself, and Andrew will be giving our score predictions. You know T-Shoes. You don't know ours yet. So you'll get that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. We're back on Buckeye Talk. I hope you enjoyed that little segment with myself and T-Shoe. I thought it was informational. Do you guys like milkshakes? Love milkshakes. You do? Of course. Have you ever had a Chick-fil-A milkshake? I was just about to say... Chick-fil-A milkshakes, the best like fast food milkshake that you can get. Chick-fil-A milkshakes slap. All right. Very important question. What now they have cookies and cream, which is their best milkshake. But what did you get? Oh, this is just a vanilla milkshake uh, with cream on it. See, it's awesome. Yeah, see, I'm, that's good, but it, it's great, but you could have done better. Well, thing is, if I, I mean, want ice cream, taste bud, so it is what it is. If go I want ice it. cream, I'm gonna go have ice cream. If I'm getting a milkshake, it's usually a part of my dinner, like um, it'll be steak and shake or a place mm. like this. I used to get them at McDonald's once in a while. I'll be honest, I don't get as many milkshake these days because, again, impending death. But um, trying to squeeze as much life as I can out of these last however many months, years I have left. 
But you're not that old, man. You've talked a lot about dying in the last like we're just, just a lot. Okay? Like, is everything okay? Not that old. Like, we're just like, a lot younger than you. I turned forty-five sixteen like, days in, ago. You've, so. you've mentioned impending doom. Is this like the like? Are you like having Listen, a, like? Do you want to talk about anything? Like, people are here. We're here to help you, Nathan. There's a point at which you realize this ain't going backwards. Like a lot. Of, like there's only like you guys are still in a situation where like if you really dedicated yourselves you could probably change yourself physically things could things sure. could go better I don't think I may have passed that point I think I may have walked past that line in the sand and now you're just trying to maintain as as well as you can before they bring that casket out so I'm not saying it's happening this week but I'm also saying that every milkshake I don't have maybe adds a little bit of time before it's time to take the warm nap so. I don't eat a lot of milkshakes, but when I did, I would get them as part of the meal. And when you're doing that, as maybe this is Steven's, I don't know what you're eating today, but I, I'm getting a it's vanilla cool. milkshake. Yeah, I'm getting a vanilla milkshake with a meal. I don't want, if I'm getting like a yeah. burger and stuff, I don't really want the chocolate as that experience. And if I go to Wendy's and I get a Frosty, I'm probably eating it after the food. I'm not like eating it with the burger and fries and stuff. Mm. Uh, that's it's it's separate to me if it's going to be a flavor. Uh, the vanilla milkshake is a little bit easier for me to just mix in as I'm eating a fast food meal. Oh, see, I, yeah. I'm the opposite. Like I have to eat, I have to eat my food because like if like Chick Fil A is where I get nearly 100 percent of my milkshakes. Like if I'm going to eat my Chick Fil A, I just I just want to. <laughs> I just love the way that that's presented. Like <laughs> I eat. So drink so many milkshakes that right. I could only pie chart right. you what percentage yep. come from Chick-fil-A <laughs> well, and what I percentage could... <laughs> come from other establishments in the greater Columbus well, area. I'm, like I could not tell you that the I could not tell you the last time I had a milkshake that was not a Chick-fil-A milkshake just because I don't know where to like I don't know where I could get one. Like literally I, any ice cream anywhere. place on the planet. I'm aware you live of in that. Columbus now. You do realize <laughs> graders started in Columbus, right? Do you well, know where else you can me. get a, you know where else you can get a milkshake? Um, your house Anywhere. if you have ice cream and milk. You do make ice cream. I forgot about that. You don't you have to make it. Cream? You just go buy it. You just go buy if you have ice cream at your house and you have milk, which most people have for their cereal, except some people don't, such as you, then <sighs> you can just easily make a milkshake anytime you want one. Yeah, see, that's hard because that's one of those things where it's like you know what? I could do this at home and I could say I made a milkshake, but I just think the quality difference between what Steven is currently drinking and what I could make in my kitchen to my left in about five minutes. I think I understand that it costs money. I understand that you would have to go out of your way to get it. I understand all of this. I just think the quality difference is so, so vast. I mean that's listen that's a that's on you. That. It sounds like you can't make food. So, for is yourself. it on me though? It, yeah, is it I, me? You made yeah. it, so yeah, it's on you. That's that has okay. nothing to do with us. That's but about that's, your ability. That's to just like that's just like saying all right, for what, because you can't prepare a five star meal, that's on you. Come on, what that's do you a, think? Milkshake's is in a, not a five star meal. <laughs> well, also, but also, like, what do you think just, is in a Chick Fil A milkshake that would not be in a milkshake that you made in your own blender? And if the answer is a bunch of Chick-fil-A chemicals that they're not telling us about. It makes me want to have a Chick-fil-A milkshake less, not more. So like what, what so, do you think is involved in the milkshake a process bunch of, in a store? A bunch of Chick-fil-A, the answer is a bunch of Chick-fil-A chemicals. Try and make, here, try and make a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich in your house and tell me if it's better or worse 
than a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich that you can buy at Chick-fil-A. I mean, tell I you can get the Chick-fil-A right sauce at the store. Well, I will tell you right now, you can go on YouTube and type in uh, uh, Chick-fil-A sandwich recipe, and somebody has come up with a copycat recipe, and you can make it in your house. And actually, I think it probably would be better. I think it would probably be crispier and crunchier. I think the Chick-fil-A sandwiches, not to bring up a very contentious thing from a few years ago, I think the Chick-fil-A sandwiches are good, but a little bit overrated. The people think they're the second coming of food, and I think they get a little soggy is one of the reasons why I don't think they're that great. And I think you can make better chicken sandwiches at home. Tastes so, so good and tastes very similar. I'm reading reviews right now on Taste Better from Scratch. So, so good and tastes very similar. Uh, literally a waste of my time. Um, almost like Chick-fil-A. Uh, burn didn't turn out so well. Uh, I don't like fried food, but this was pretty good. Okay, so yeah, you're not like, it sounds like some of that might have been user error, but you're not getting the same exact thing. It's It's like trying to make like, Homemade potato chips, they're just not going to taste like Lay's potato chips. You have some more faith in yourself. So anyway, Ohio State will play Indiana on Saturday, and it's time to make our predictions. Nathan, we're going to start with you. The line right now is Ohio State minus 30, with the over-under being 60. What's your prediction? I'm going to take Ohio State 48, Indiana 13. I, I don't really think that this is going to be close because of what I said before. I don't think Indiana can challenge Ohio State offensively. I think this Ohio State defense is going to be better. I think it is going to be less susceptible to problems, especially in the back end and those sorts of breakdowns. I think it's going to be in a game like this, especially um, where now you're taking two very inexperienced quarterbacks and we still don't know which one's going to play for IU, but either one of them now having to solve a Jim Knowles defense. That's why I think he might still be pretty aggressive in this matchup, actually. And it's not because he has to do it to win the game at large, but to win the game emphatically to go in and create problems for these young inexperienced quarterbacks, create some turnovers, potentially let this offense get its rhythm built that way. I, there's just too many ways that I see this unfolding where it starts sliding downhill pretty fast on the Hoosiers, who I actually don't have big expectations for them overall this season. And this talent gap, this kind of talent gap is, is one of the reasons. I just, as much as they have helped themselves with the transfer portal, I think it remains to be seen how much you can do on day one of a season to close a gap with a team like Ohio State. So I'm saying 48 to 13, which would cover the spread and be just a tick over the over under. Nathan Baird is taking the un Ohio State to cover and the over as well. 48 13. Andrew, what's your score? Uh, pretty similar to Nathan's. I'm going to go 41 13. Uh, so uh, while it is pretty similar, that does mean that uh, we are going under. And that does mean that the Hoosiers are going to cover. With this defense for Ohio State, I really struggle to see how Indiana is going to score um, or at least score consistently. I think, you know, you could probably drum up a scenario where, all right, you know, they get a good, they get good field position. Okay. You know, they get a good punt return, something like that. And they get, you know, kind of a one-off. I just, I can't imagine them kind of marching down the field, you know, on a couple straight drives and just kind of scoring uh, at will on this Ohio State defense. Um, I am curious. One of the things that 
you know, I, I haven't really discussed because it's more related to the over under is, you know, for years, what was the game plan or at least what was the, the book, if you will, on on beating Ohio State? It's running the ball. It's controlling the clock. I mean, you think back to the Oregon game when Oregon ran for like 275 yards or whatever that was, like the Michigan games the last few years. Like if you want to beat Ohio State, the kind of the model, I guess, for a lot of people, it, whether or not you know, you've tried it or it's worked, has been to run the ball, to control the clock and to keep the ball out of their hands. I think that that's going to stay the same. But what I am curious about is Ohio State has Travion Henderson now. And he's back healthy. And if you run the ball more, like if you know, you know, Stephen was talking the other day um, on one of our YouTube videos, which is now up. Go check that out. Uh, but he was talking about how he thinks that Trayvon Henderson is going to have a great game. And is Ohio State willing to kind of play into their opponent's hands a little bit and just say, you know what, we're going to run the ball, and because we can do it for six and a half yards of carry. And that's great for them, but that does gonna that does burn the clock a little bit more. Uh, so I'm curious to see how they kind of handle that because what you don't want to do if you're Ohio State is shorten the game even more than the game has already been shortened and the game by the clock rules and shorten the game even more than other teams are trying to shorten the game. Uh, I just think that we're gonna go slightly under. You're gonna lose a few plays with the clock. I don't again. I don't think it's gonna be that big of a difference. But it does kind of make me want to lean under on a lot of these week one, week zero games. Um, you know, I, I I know I said the other day that unders went I think seven and three in week zero according to uh, one sports book. So I think under is going to hit. Uh, I think Ohio State's offense is going to score. I think forty one is going to be. It's I think forty one is going to be one of those days where you look at it and say that was a really efficient forty one. You know, they looked crisp doing that forty one. They ran the ball well. Kyle McCord looked good. Devin Brown, I think, is going to come in and look good too. I just think that you know when you have that assortment of talent and uh, and against an opponent like this, where you know you're not playing Penn State or Notre Dame or whoever to to start the season, I think you're going to get a uh, a nice performance from them. So Ohio State wins pretty comfortably uh, in a game that is pretty much clean up duty for most of the second half. Uh, but Indiana covers, and we go under. So Ohio State scoring 41 points, that would be the least amount of points Ohio State has scored on Indiana since Ryan Day came to town. They scored 49 in 2017, 49 again in 2018, 51 in 2020, uh, excuse me, 2018, 51 in 2019, 42 in 2020, which is the one of the only time, that's the only other time he's been under 49. And then he scored 54 in 2021 and then 56 last year. I don't think this game is going to be close anymore. I thought it would. I don't think there's a single point in this game where this game is competitive past the first three drives. I mean, period. Like, Ohio State has two offensive possessions. Indiana has one offensive possession or vice versa. I just don't see it being all that close. Indiana just – I'm not sold there. So I went – I did some math. I did some Steven math, which just means I added some stuff together and found a number, and then I did some other which stuff. To make it a you did number. some Steven math, which means yeah. I like it. Nice little play on words. You see the there. vision. You see the vision yep. there. So I mean came up is with also an arithmetic word too. Yeah, there it is. Look at mean, us making all these connections. Know, wordsmith over here. Once again, that's why they pay me the bucks. You see, I'm not the saying bucks. big. I'm just saying bucks. But anyway, I went bucks with fifty-five to, write about to ten. The bucks. Yeah, I, I, I went with fifty-five to ten. I think Indiana's going to have a drive, maybe early in the game, or maybe late in the game. But at some point, they just get something because that's how this works. Even in 2019 against Florida Atlantic, when Ohio State had 
one of the best defenses we've seen in the past decade. Florida Atlantic moved the ball a couple of times and was able to get on the scoreboard. So I think Indiana does get on the scoreboard. But I just think Ohio State's going to move the ball. And they're going to move it with Kyle McCord out there. I think they're going to move it if Devin Brown comes out there. It's just there's a lot that Indiana has to try to deal with while also trying to figure out what it has. So I think there's a situation here where they look like what Ohio State looked like in 2021 against Minnesota, where they're throwing a bunch of guys out there trying to figure out who their best guys are still. Meanwhile, Ohio State is a fully functioning machine, even if its quarterback is brand new this year. So 55 to 10, that's taking the over, and that's Ohio State covering in this situation. It's a big cover. Minus 30 is a lot, but Ohio State's kind of had its way with Indiana ever since outside of one season, outside of that 2020 game when Michael Penix, who's now at Washington, was here. So that's two covers, one over, and those are our score predictions for Ohio State's season opener against Indiana. I want to wrap up with this. Where are we on the intrigue? With You kind of went over this in our uh, outrageous predictions video, Andrew, and we'll, I'll save that, go watch that video to see what he actually said. But you think both of these quarterbacks will be able to move the ball pretty well. So kind of a short answer from both of you guys. What are you expecting our opinions to be of Ohio State's quarterback Regardless of name, let's just take the name off of it because we're expecting both of them to play. What are we expecting our opinion of that position to be and what it might be this year coming out of the Indiana game? Nathan, we'll start with you. You know, I, there's this I, there's this narrative out there, and I was getting questions about it today from texters, um, about this this idea that, that Ryan Day is making this decision right now between McCord and Brown for reasons other than football reasons for, you know, that, that there's, that, that somehow this, there's been a manipulation here and um, this is all for appearances and that Brown is clearly the better quarterback and that'll be, you know, and, and so here's the thing, I guess I say, I think of one of two things. Number one, I think you don't, you, you should, if you think that's true, then you should want Ryan day to be fired because that's playing around with, uh, with things in a way that leaves you really open to a, a bad outcome. But, but, but more importantly, um, if that is true also, then it will be revealed. So I think that's maybe what I'm looking for the most. Like we haven't seen Devin Brown play a game. What do I think this is going to look like? I think we're going to get to see both of these guys have to go out and play real football in a way that we haven't since common Cord was a true freshman. And, I think that we'll probably see some version of what we saw in the spring, what we saw in glimpses of the preseason. I think we'll see that both these guys are pretty good quarterbacks. And what I, what is, what my unknown is, is what sort of volume are they going to give Brown where if this is being, so still playing out in the court of public opinion, what, what sort of volume of plays does Brown get that helps compare him to McCord? If McCord is starting and if McCord is, I guess, playing maybe the lion's share against the first team, we don't know that yet. But if that happens, then what volume do we get from Brown that, that gives him a chance to show where he's at if 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 this really is truly like they're still trying to do the evaluation? Because I think everybody has a concept of what they are as players. The, the question being, how do you determine who they are as what they are as quarterbacks in the moment? But I also think you can't completely answer that if you're jerking them in and out. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you have to kind of let a guy go in and be the guy. And it's why I think that while you can't count the con that can't count Devin Brown out of being the quarterback, it meant something to me that McCord is starting and then Brown will play. 
Like it's not a back and forth. And if, if that is true, then does McCord get a chance here to go in and put this away? Or does Brown get enough of a play that this thing looks even more wide open as we go into week two? I'm coming around to the idea that Kyle McCord might do that. I don't think they'll make it final because they don't have to, given who their next two opponents are. But I do think there is a chance that Kyle does that because there's a reason he picked him to be the starter. There's a reason. That means he's in the lead right now. It doesn't mean he's won the job, but it does mean he's in the lead. If he had picked Devin Brown, I would feel the exact same way. I don't think we're going to come out of here saying that the quarterback, we got another one. They've got another guy who's Heisman Trophy caliber. He's All-American caliber because that's just – you don't get there in week one. I don't even think we were there with Justin Fields in week one. But I do think we feel the same way about this quarterback that we felt about Justin Fields after week one. Of like, okay, there might be something there. Let's see what happens when they play somebody good. I think that's, I think that's a fair place to be until they play somebody. For Justin Fields, it wasn't until they played Nebraska, but then we also found out Nebraska wasn't very good. But for him, it was, okay, let's play. Let's see him play against a team who's a preseason top 25-ranked opponent, and let's see what he does in that game. But Florida Atlantic showed us that we saw what his floor could potentially be. We just need to see what his ceiling is later down the line. Andrew, where's your head at? Yeah, I think we're going to leave this game. Uh, you know, Frankly, I think we're going to be talking about this on Saturday night after the game and then on Monday and kind of into next week. I think we're going to be kind of – right where we are now I think we're gonna I mean obviously we're gonna have a sample size I don't imagine that we are going to be sitting here saying you have to play Kyle McCord because he was so great and or Devin Brown was so bad or vice versa I I don't really envision that happening I think both guys are gonna play pretty well if I had to bet I think what's gonna happen is Kyle McCord is gonna go out there and he's gonna play well you know, I, I, Steven's right. I mean, the last few years, I mean, last year you had what the number two overall pick at quarterback, like you, the, there's going to be a drop off. Like he's not going to go out there and play, you know, at the level of a Caleb Williams or Drake may, I, I just don't, I just, I mean, I would be really surprised if that's the case. So yeah, I, I look at this and see, we're going to feel more or less the same about where we are now, but it's going to be better. If that makes sense. I think we're going to say, all right, you know, you got two guys, you know, we've, we have a sample size, but I think you're going to feel a little bit better about the position because I think, frankly, I think if, if I had to bet on kind of the situation that happens, I think Kyle McCord's going to go out there and Ohio state's going to be able to run the offense effectively. I think he's going to do pretty well. Um, you know, whether or not that involves, you know, him just making ridiculous throws down the field or kind of out routes or things like that, you know, hard, hard routes to throw. Um, I think that that's going to be, um, you know, I think that that's going to be something that we see. I, I think he's going to play well, but I mentioned this in one of the videos that we that we did. I think you also want to see Devin Brown throw the rock a little bit. You want to see him play quarterback. You don't want to put him in the game. You know, even if it's you know even if it's a blowout in the second half, you don't want to put him in the game and just have him turn around and hand the ball to Mayan Williams or whoever for you know fifteen carries in a row and then get out of Bloomington, like you want to see him play. You want to see him throw the ball. So he's, I would bet he plays in the first half. Um, but I, I think we're going to leave this game going. Kyle McCord has the edge, obviously. Devin Brown played well, and I feel better about the quarterback position as a whole. But I think people are going to kind of feel the same way about Kyle McCord and Devin Brown. I think, you know, they're going to look at this and their priors are going to be confirmed one way or the other.
Allstate plays Indiana at 3.30 in Memorial Stadium to open up the 2023 season. Nathan will be there. Andrew will be there. And I will be there. And we'll have our post-game pod right after that. But sign up for the text. We text a lot on game day. 614-350-3315. I mean, like, a lot. Like, uh, you know, like, uh, those group <laughs> chats, we're all in group chats where it's just constantly going off. It's not quite that level. It's the level right under that, so you still enjoy yourself. That's what it's like being a Texas rapper on a Saturday for a game. Where you can Find still up. read everything, and you don't just swipe it as red and keep going. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. You, you want us texting your phone, 614-350-3315. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and for Tishu also. Tishu was really insightful today. That was Buckeye Talk.